National Talkie League. Alright, Hiroshi, let's light this candle. You see, this is the National Talkie League, and you're thinking to yourself, what happened to the Muhammad Ali intro? What happened to the Rumble Young Man Rumble? And I thought to myself, maybe Dave will explain it in a theme song, or not. It's up to him. National Talkie League, it's season three now. National Talkie League, things be different for me now. National Talkie League. Let's go to Roger. All right. So as Dave alluded in the theme song, it's season three. We're doing something a little different. We're moving in a different direction, one that's going to be, um, well, we think better, but we also think more manageable, a little bit more on point. Um, and so I, I don't know. It's kind of exciting, actually, Dave. I mean, it's, we, you know, we're, 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 we're stepping into some new territory with the National Talkie League. Uh, and this, this f- happened over the course of two texts. I was like, what if we did this? And you were like, I like that. And it was done. Precisely. So what's happening? Why don't you lay it out then? Because this is kind of, uh, you you planted the seed. You're the source of the germ here. (laughs) How dare you? Uh, So yeah, so what (laughs) was happening was, of course, over the winter, and uh, it's still winter, I guess. It's technically almost spring, but uh, over the course of the winter here, we'd kind of been a little bit lazy, maybe a little bit less than punctual less than regular about recording and part of that was our uh, our goal was to sort of make things a little bit easier on ourselves and our way to do that was to take the pressure off of recording constantly and uh, record as we wish that clearly was not working for us so we're going to course correct <laughs> you know what hey hey that's how it goes right you notice a problem you notice it's not working you change it up that's how it goes so uh, right. i proposed to roger what if we did a season like an actual season of recording. So uh, that is to say, we uh, do our damnedest to record weekly, to uh, put that podcast out on a regular day, probably Thursday, I'm going to say. Um, Why Thursday? That's like the worst day for me. Oh, well, then it won't be Thursday. It'll be whenever <laughs> Roger has time to do it. So no, we're going to record I'm just once kidding. a week. I was just trying to be obstinate. <laughs> I see. So we're going to record once a week. We're going to, we're going to put the podcast out once a week, uh, until probably June, June ish. At some point in June, we're going to announce the season finale and we're going to take a break probably over the summer. Uh, and then the plan would be to come back in the fall. Uh, if something major cataclysmic happens in the, your political world, we might, uh, hop in and, uh, have our say on things. But that's the plan is to do kind of a season. So you get a, a bunch of weeks in a row and then we take a break so we can keep our sanity and you guys can, uh, uh, formulate your thoughts on things. And then we, uh, we all meet up again in the fall when school starts. Yeah. Yeah. When school starts. Now here's, here's why I like, this idea, Dave. And I just sort of think that for my part anyway, and not for yours, certainly, but for my part, you know, the National Talkie League really just sort of became a routine bitching about the liberal liberal government for me. And I, I mean, unabashedly so, um, but it just doesn't have that kind of variety. It'd be like watching Hulk Hogan fight the Bolsheviks every Saturday on Maple Leaf Wrestling, you know, like we needed... We needed to have the ultimate warrior come, you know, sliding in under the bottom rope and, and break up the, 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 I'm going way too far with this analogy, but my point is, is that, um, you know, we, we've kind of restructured how we're going to do this podcast a little bit. We're certainly going to give a rundown of the week's events, but we're going to focus on, on one issue. And in the, you know, six days between recording and, and publishing the podcast, um, 
you know, our challenge is going to be to to add some variety, to certainly talk about the things that are important and that are politically happening, but to not just constantly be this like well, I don't know what to me I just sort of felt like it was was devolving from my part into like nothing that the NDP does is good, nothing that the liberals do is good. Statements which are true, but that don't need to be elaborated upon so profoundly uh, for thirty minutes every week. So to that end, in a uh, attempt to uh, help Roger out with that variety. Uh, we're also going to introduce uh, an actual segment called What's the Big yes. Deal? Yeah. Now, in time, we're going to connect with a, a German voiceover talent named um, Johannes, who will help us with What's the Big Deal and, and, and package it up properly. And um, in keeping with, in not keeping at all with what I just said, today's big deal is really going to be ragging on the liberal government. <laughs> And Justin Trudeau in particular, but rightfully so. And, you know, there's there's a lot of nuance to it. Well, I mean, I, there's not a lot of nuance to it. There's a lot of components to it. I don't think it's nuanced at all, but we'll get into it uh, in a little bit here. Sure thing. Uh, a point back to your wrestling conversation. My favorite was always Coco Beware, and I think you know why. Uh, well, I don't know the specific reason why, but I can think of a whole lot of reasons to love Coco Beware. Because we share a name. That's it. Oh, that's right. His middle initial was B, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, I just I, I thought you were going after the parrot. I think having a parrot is an awesome thing. <laughs> well, that too, of course. Coco Beware. Yeah. All right. Uh, I always kind of like the I like the junkyard dog, and I don't really know why. I mean, I like dogs, but uh, I just thought the big chain and he he looked like a, ba- a badass. He had a pretty <laughs> small arc, I think, in the whole WWE thing. Uh, speaking of which, segue, and not to talk about it, but I got another dog. This one's a small black Labrador named Kika. Very cute dog, Roger. I saw this dog. I met this dog. I like this dog. All right. We'll post a picture of Kika in the uh, National Talkie League Facebook group, the beleaguered talkies. And uh, you can all uh, like and love that image and whatnot and, and let Kika become an internet star in the political podcast world. So, uh, so jumping into things, the plan is, uh, at this point, it could evolve because we like to do that, but the plan is we open the show, uh, not as we have just now with a bunch of explanation, but rather we open the show, uh, with just kind of a rundown or a roundup of what's going on in uh, a city province, uh, country. Maybe there's not much, maybe there's a ton. We go through that and then, uh, and then we move on to the big deal. So you'll see what that mm-hmm. is when we get to that segment. And, of course, we'll uh, we'll turn to you, beleaguered talkies, to uh, offer up some things that you think the big deal should be from week to week. Exactly. So where do you want to begin, Dave? All right. Well, let's uh, let's go up the chain because I have a feeling that uh, that'll segue nicely into this week's mm-hmm. big deal. But uh, uh, city-wise, what's going on in the city of Calgary this week? Well, there's a big uh, big. Uh, news er coming out of City Hall, big decision coming out of City Hall that they're looking at spending what was it, one point five billion dollars on four projects or moving forward uh, with four proposals. That was the BMO Center upgrade. That was a new arena. That was a new field house, and I can't remember what the fourth one was. Right. I'm just excited to see the uh, public artwork that goes along with all of these things. I think that's going to be the real story that we don't get to tell just yet. You know, I, I sort of feel like, like after the everything the city's been kind of through lately, right? Like the uh, the Olympic bid, uh, the the initial failed talks about the the arena proposals and the field house and stuff like that. I just sort of feel like there's two things happening. One, there's some pressure on city council to deliver something that's 
untangibly emotionally positive for the city. Uh, and the second thing is, I think that there's this sort of um, kind of growing swell of life after Nenshi. And that if Nenshi's not going to be the mayor for another term this time around, or even another term next time around, I think that there has to be, that there's some people who, who think that we need to get into some sense of secession planning. And I think it's entirely possible especially based on how the last uh, civic election went, that somebody who favors, you know, giving a handout to the Calgary Flames um, will will find their way into the mayor's chair. So rather than let it be an election issue, I think that that as time's kind of drawn out on this, that, that people have said, look, there's maybe there's a really palatable way that we can figure out how we can appease the hockey club, get some funding for the arena, and then get this project going because it'll be sort of like a bitter pill to swallow at first. There'll be a lot of people grumbling and complaining. But just like the Peace Bridge, give it five years and everybody will be very happy that this happened. So they bundle it up with a bunch of other things. They call it a, a small piece of the the greater pie, and they just sort of get on with making a new hockey rink. You know, I think all of that is on point. I think there's even more going on, too, from my discussions with one of the counselors. Uh, basically, what he said was, oh, we got all these development groups that want to get in and do some stuff in the East Village. And all we got to do is start opening that up to them. And so my thought is BMO Center, technically just outside of the East Village, but it's going to be part of that whole thing. The new arena is going to be in the East Village, probably where the, all those parking lots are just outside of the stampede grounds there. It's going to be part of that. The green line's going in there. So that whole area is going to be redeveloped as a, like a place to go, a place to, to make that happen. So part of it, I think, is city council wanting to be, to put their stamp on that and say, we did this. And part of it is they want to get in all that, that yummy development money that's going to be flowing through that area. I don't know how much of that benefits you or I, but probably, I mean, there'll be more stuff to do and go and see. And if they put in a good arena, I'm not wanting to pay for the whole thing, but if they put in a nice arena, then, you know, we can go see Paul McCartney without having to drive to Edmonton. <laughs> right. You know, Dave, all I really want is is for someone to just tell me how I'm going to get my money back. Like, no, it, it's true, right? I mean, the, the mayor's comment was that, you know, city taxpayers shouldn't be on the hook for, you know, private. Well, I'll just simplify it. I don't even have to attribute it to the mayor. I don't know exactly what he said. It was so bloody long ago. But um, fundamentally, the public shouldn't pay for uh, private interests. So if if they're using public money to finance this thing in, in one way, shape or form, then I just want the argument to be made that, that we're treating it like an investment. So, Dave, if you gave me $10 and I promised to give you $15 back in two years, then you might go, yeah, okay, that's fine. 50% over two years, I'll take it. And I'm sort of the same way with my tax dollars. If the city's going to tell me, look, you know, we're going to take, uh, a, you know, $10 million, but we're going to, um, give $15 million back to the citizens of Calgary by virtue of this plan, by how we've got this thing structured, then I could get on board with that. I'm the kind of guy who looks a bit more long term than just quarter to quarter or fiscal year to fiscal year. So uh, that, that's really the only narrative that I need to have spelled out for me in all of this. The part that kind of chaps me a little is if city council had more balls, they would have come out during the Olympic vote and said, look, we're building this stuff anyway, right? Scott Scott Oberg, uh, one of the talkies, actually kind of laid this whole thing out. He's like, yeah, this is going to happen one way or the other. We might as well get some free money while we're at it, right? Um, but if they had been a little more you know, ballsy, they would have said, this is happening, guys. We are spending this money. So it's up to you. If you want to get the Olympics as well and get someone else to pay for some of it, vote yes. 
right? And I wonder if they had laid it out that way, people would have been pissed off at them, but I wonder if more people would have voted yes. Well, what does that mean, get someone else to pay for it, though? Well, I mean, what they're saying is, you know, we're we're bringing all this stuff in. We can either pay for the whole thing ourselves or we can get some, you know, federal and provincial money going on here, too. Right. So it can either be your your local taxes or your federal and provincial taxes. Sure. Like, I, I get it. I get the I get the point. I, I mean, I just sort of wonder if a, if if a government is in a position to 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 do that. I mean, I guess they do it with public with uh, infrastructure projects all the time. Like, you know, we have to you know, we have to put this much money into this overpass so that we can get the matching grants from blah 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 blah. So. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't know. I just sort of think it'd be pretty rich, though, if, if city council could come out with a united front and tell us how they intend to vote on something ahead of time. <laughs> you know, I don't think that would go over too well. The weird thing on this one was that Drew Farrell voted no. Like, of all people. Re- yeah? Yeah. She that, voted no to spending public money? Weird. That I know. Shocking. Maybe not enough of it was going into her ward. That's probably what it was. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay, so that's uh, that's the big I think the big city issue right now. I don't know if there's a ton else going on that I can think of off the top of my head. That's kind of taken up the majority of uh the news cycle. Uh provincially, we're uh we got this lovely still haven't called an election, but everybody's campaigning. Um going on right so most of the the stories are oh look the ucp are so evil and corrupt and uh the ucp going oh look the liberal or the uh ndp are trying to make us look like we're evil and corrupt right yeah i don't know i just want to know what the worst is going to happen when the ucp get elected like to all of these people who are on the left and who who you know are fear-mongering about kenny like you know, I'll be the fir- I'll be one of the first in line to say that he. I don't think he's the ideal conservative candidate by by any stretch, but I so I sort of feel like there's this, you know, sky is falling and and this like we're going to see this wave of hatred. You know, Donald Trump has been the president of the United States for a few years now, and you know we've certainly seen some terrible news. But if you just sort of walk down Main Street in America. It's not demonstrably more wicked than it ever was. So I just I just sort of look at this sort of narrative and, and rhetoric that we get from opponents that are saying like, well, you know, if Kenny's Kenny's elected, it's going to be a threat to LGBT rights and whatnot. Okay, what does that look like to me though? Tell me what that looks like to me because I will tell you what Notley's election looks like in retrospect, and a lot of people were predicting this is that there was going to be this unwillingness to invest in Alberta. And we've seen that. We've also seen a lot of business interests say we're we're holding our we're holding our money. We're keeping the horses in the barn until you know we see what happens with this election in 2019. So that stuff's occurring whether you like it or not. Now it's not universal. I mean, there are certainly are business owners, small and large, who who prefer the NDP and like what's happening there. But I don't think that there were too many people that you could take seriously going into the last provincial election that said, if Notley's elected, all of your kids are going to have to become gay or something stupid like that. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I just, uh, that's kind of what I want. Like if we could just put the rhetoric aside for a second, tell me the worst thing that's going to happen if the UCP are elected. Well, and you know what? People constantly overestimate the powers of the provincial government. You see this all the time. Oh, if these guys get in, the sky will fall. Exactly what you were saying. And it doesn't. 
because honestly, not all that much changes, right? People, the the uh, talking points on the NDP side right now are uh, what you said. Oh yeah, it's, the, the GSAs is going to be a huge problem, huge problem for. I'm like, may, okay, I'm not discounting that. It might be a problem for some people, but not a huge problem for most people, I think. Uh, and abortion is the other one. Oh, he's gonna he's gonna go off on abortion. It's like shut. He's not gonna do shit about abortions because who cares? What could he do? Yeah, it's, there's probably nothing. There's you know other than oh we're gonna outlaw all the abortion centers in Alberta. It's like, ah. Well, they can't do that. Yeah, I mean they could. I guess they could. They could meddle with the funding, the way the province delivers funding for abortion clinics. But I, you know, the last thing you want to do is be in violation of. Of federal law on delivery of healthcare, so and I don't, I don't think there's enough of a win to do that. I don't think there's enough votes to be gained versus the ones you're going to lose. Right, you're going to lose that soft middle. You can't really afford to lose that soft middle. Your hardcore is still going to vote for you, even if you do nothing about abortions. Right, your soft middle. If you start messing with it, they're going to go the other way. And he's smart enough to know that. Yeah, you know, and plus, you know, you got to think too how Kenny was Harper's sort of right hand man for a lot of time, right? And Harper knew that you don't go near that one. Like his whole, you know, he was, he famously said, we're not going to reopen the discussion on abortion. And which I always found interesting because if the question was, what's your stance on, you know, what's your personal stance on abortion? I think Harper would have had a very politically expedient response, something along the lines of, well, it doesn't really matter. You know, I'm one vote and, uh, you know, the party has its position and blah, 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 blah. But I mean, I would, I would gamble a lot of my money that he's probably more pro-life than he is pro-choice. Sure. But he still understood that the politics of the day demanded that for the conservatives to win a majority government, they just not reopen this third rail argument. And Kenny has already learned that lesson. And I wouldn't be surprised if he could, if he would stand, you know, in a, in a, in a meeting in a church hall with his base and say, the most important thing is that we win the government. Mm. Not that we stand on some mortal ground. Absolutely. That's the problem. That's the problem with the base of every single political party is that they don't understand that the first objective is to win, win the election. Instead, they get all caught up in, well, we just need to have the moral high ground, the moral superiority. It's like, no, you don't. What you need to do is win. And then you need to win hearts and minds. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely right. Uh, the uh, the the big fun argument that I see going on right now in uh, on Reddit, and I've been better. I haven't been on there as much, <laughs> Roger. Uh, is uh, oh, Kenny's looking at lowering corporate taxes. Well, of course he was going to do that. We knew he was going to do that because he's trying to restore that Alberta advantage. He's trying to bring more money back into the province or convince those that have left. Hey, we got a better tax, you know, uh, scheme. I was going to call it. That sounds wrong. We got a better tax regimen in this province. So bring your business here. So in a lot of ways, that makes sense. As soon as you bring up the idea of dropping corporate taxes, the left starts shouting uh, trickle down economics. It never works and that kind of thing. Um, yet they're convinced somehow that the NDP, if they continue in power, will balance the budget by 2024. How magic Probably. I don't know. There's no indication that they would be able to because they're constantly running deficits. They're smaller deficits than they thought they were going to have, but there's still massive deficits on top of all the extra spending. So it's like, well, what do you want? Right. Make up your mind. Either you'd like mm. the idea of uh, 
of the government making more money. And they're like, oh, well, you know, because we, we've got a deficit already, that's just going to bring less money in because they're all economic masters. I mean, honestly, we could talk to Trevor and find out what the uh, the nuts and bolts of this thing are, and we probably will do that at some point. But it's just like, oh, come on, like, give it a rest already. Uh, why don't they shift their focus? I mean, I don't really understand the left being hell-bent on taxing companies. We just saw this story in the last week about uh, Amazon not paying income tax on some like 11 billion in, in revenue or some, I, I'm not, the figures aren't important, but that the company didn't pay this tax and then people were outraged by it. And all I could think of was why, why do you care about the company paying the tax? You should care about the people that earn the money at the company paying tax, which they do. So the money flows through the company to the people and then they pay the tax. But above all, I mean, if, if Jeff Bezos is the figurehead of Amazon, like, Make him pay tax. I mean, if he if he made several hundred million dollars last year, then hit him up at the cash register whenever he buys a new Maserati or 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 you know buys an entire cruise ship. I don't know what he spends. What do you spend that kind of money on? I have no idea. And the point of it is, like here at home, like don't focus on making sure the oil company pays tax. Make sure the oil company hires people so that they can pay tax. Just it seems like they're just. They've got their heads up their asses on this argument about corporate income tax. I'll tell you what the rate should be set at. It should be somewhere near zero. Um, and they, but of course they want all the free things too, right? Need free pharmacare, need free healthcare, need free education. Uh, but you know what? We don't want uh, anybody coming in the province that's going to bring more money in. We don't want that. <laughs> right. Uh, it's baffling. Honestly, I find it baffling. Um, so the question that I asked Trevor on uh, Twitter a couple weeks ago, I don't know if he got back to me, but fair play if he didn't, um, was was this. And my question was, uh, how much, I think I called it discretion, discretionary spending might not be the right term, but there's got to be a certain amount of money that it takes to actually run the province, right? So if someone came into power, you can't just slash all of the income or slash all of the expenditures. There's got to be some you know, stuff, this is fixed. We're not getting away from this. So the question is really like, how much difference can you, can a government possibly make as far as the spending, right? How much could you cut back? How much more could you bring in? Like what's the, the nuts and bolts? So what's the difference between the NDP's plan and the UCP's plan at the end of the day? How different will they really be? Uh, Yeah, no, that's a, that's an interesting question because you're right. You can't just you can't move in like orders of magnitude. You no, you can't to. close all the schools. You can't close all the hospitals. There's always going to be costs there. You can fiddle with budgets percentage-wise a little bit here and there. But, you know, a lot of it I think you can't touch, right? Yeah. So, like, to give an idea, like, you can't – the day after the election, you can't chain – padlock the, the, the doors to the hospital. You first have to look at at you know moving people around and and uh, you know you have to assess what the impact of layoffs is going to be and then you know over the course of several months and maybe even years then you can dynamite the general hospital and call it an efficiency right like yeah you're right you can't just you've got to move at a bit of a glacial pace with some things but other things you don't other things that you can look at um, you know like the tax regimen or scheme, as I prefer to call it. Thank you very much, Dave Ware. Uh, the, the, the tax scheme, you could look at that and you could say, okay, all that matters is money in, money out. So we are going to look at how much income we could capture under various scenarios based on information that we know and have seen trending over the past couple of years. It's freaking absurd to me. Absurd to me. 
that people can come to this province for, or this city rather for 10 days in the summertime. And we don't try and extract uh, like a, a, a consumption tax from them. They're freeloading basically, right? If you think about it, somebody takes their money that they earned in another jurisdiction. They come here and use all of our infrastructure to enjoy the Calgary stampede, just as an example. And we don't try and hit them up with any sort of, you know, uh, tax for the wear and tear that they put on the services. That's a really simple way of, of looking at what a benefit having a, you know, a PST would look like in this province. Of course, caveat has to come with a severe reduction in income taxes. But anyway, I mean, here we are banging the same old drum again. But um, I, I, I just sort of, I know what you mean about, you know, how much impact can a government legitimately have and what's the baseline operating budget that, that the government needs to have. But the question is, would you tolerate like swift changes to services uh, if, if, you know, if they happened, would, if, if they basically just came in and they said, yeah, no more uh, full day kindergarten or whatever the case may be, would you go, yeah, okay, no, I get it. <laughs> or would you say, hey, wait. Well, and that's a good point. So, I mean, there's always going to be differences party-wise as to how that money gets spent and where it comes from. Um, I think things are changing a lot. I think you and I have for a long time discussed the possibility of a provincial sales tax and how it's necessary. And that conversation happens more and more. The only the only thing that seems to be stopping it is everybody saying, oh, any government that brings it in is finished. I don't know if that's right. true. No, I don't think it's true anymore. I think I think if Kenny gets in, I think he does it. I think he does it like a year in and says, look, the reason we're doing this is because the NDP spent so – that's what he'll say, right? The NDP said yeah. so much of our money that we have to recoup it somehow. So we're going to get out of debt and this is how we're going to do it. Boom. Here's the numbers. And they bring in a provincial sales tax and people bitch and moan for you know a couple months and then we forget about it and it's done. Yeah. So I would, I would bring it in at like – bring it in at 5%. This is a, this is just an example. I don't know what the numbers are, but you bring it in at like 5% and then you reduce it to 3% ahead of the next election. And because I, I mean, I don't even know who's going to contest the next election. Like, I don't know what's going to happen here. I, I don't think the, the, the NDP are going to be like blown off the face of the earth, but I do think it'll be more than four years before they have strong, legitimate candidates that they can run in 87 ridings or however many ridings there will be then. But yeah, I don't know. I just I feel like, yeah, it's. I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it's. I think it's a bit of a non-issue right now. I I, I think that if Kenny were to try to introduce uh, uh, a PST, I think it wouldn't be until his second term. Um, how many strong candidates do the NDP have going into this election? Sandra Jansen's already decided she's going to bail. Yeah. Uh, how many strong candidates did they have to start with? That's that's my question, right? Yeah, I'm careful here though because I'm pretty sure I could say the same about the UCP. Yeah, fair enough. So this time, do you think they have stronger candidates or do you think they're just grabbing whoever's available? I think that a lot of politics in Alberta is is about grabbing whoever's available. Like, let's, I mean, maybe we can cap this off and, and move on to the big deal here pretty soon. But if, but for future discussion, I would hold, I would stand behind a conservative politician who campaigned on increasing MLA pay and, and increasing MLA benefits. Because as long as that's a shitty job with decent pay, not great pay, but de- – well, I guess the pay is really good. But I mean if you're really ambitious, you know, making $130,000 a year is something that's within reach in a lot of uh, professions. So um, I, all I'm saying is that if we – like when we 
took away the pension plan and, and, you know, we, we, we made them sound like greedy thieves every time. Um, you know, they, they padded their bank accounts after, uh, you know, years and years of service. I mean, look, it got kind of, um, it got kind of out of hand in the case of like, you know, some people like King Ken who had these amazing King Ken Kowalski who had these incredible, uh, you know, uh, what were they called transition packages where they were banking nearly seven figures just as they, uh, went into retirement. Um, all I'm saying is, is that, you know, if, if, if it's going to, if you're going to have to spend money out of pocket and be away from home that frequently and you're constantly in the newspaper and nobody likes you no matter what you do, that job should pay pretty well and it should pay you to the end of your life. Yeah, I've never had a problem. I mean, I obviously with excess and waste, but I've never had a problem with paying well for those jobs, right? Those people, if they're getting a job as a CEO of a company or something, they're certainly making more than they are there. And you're right. If you want to attract some talent, you got to pay, right? Nobody's going to go do that job if they can get a better job somewhere else, unless they're really dedicated to public service. Right. All right. I think we've beat that to death now. Uh, so... <laughs> that, so you like my segue? I did, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so that that brings us to the federal uh, political scene, but uh, I have a feeling that's going to be the big deal. So why don't this we just is the big deal, transition yeah. right into So Roger, what's the big deal? <laughs> well, look, for a month, it's obviously been Trudeau and this SNC-Lavalin thing and, and, and uh, the treatment of Jody Wilson-Raybould, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I said it in the earlier on in, in a bit of a preamble that it's nuanced, but it's not nuanced. It has a lot of components to it, but there's no n- real nuance here. I mean, what you have is the exact same thing that we've always had in government. And in the case of the liberals, we just have corruption. I think that in the case of conservatives, what we've typically had, um, or maybe not typically, I'm certainly the Airbus thing was corruption. Um, you know, I think that with 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 conservatives, we've just kind of had assholes, right? Like people who who kind of had their own personal acts to grind, or their own their their own uh, um, end uh, to find a means to, and uh, that was kind of uh, unsavory. So think about the Nick Cobb, right? That wasn't corrupt. That was just a dick move. Uh, ad scam that was corrupt is what we had. That we had we had corruption and ad scam. And now here we are, the exact same thing with SNC Lavalin. We've got the Prime Minister's office trying to protect the shareholders of a Canadian company under the guise of trying to protect the jobs of many Quebecers. Which, by the way, Dave, that was what like the Quebec punditry on mass was almost saying was that the Prime Minister and the government of Canada have an obligation to protect workers. And there's over eight thousand people that work for SNC Lavalin. But they've quit singing from that songbook now because they too think that this guy's a dick. Quebec is turning on the prime minister in some ways, so I find that really, really fascinating. But um, the, here's here's the thing that that's kind of got my mind in the past few days is that Sheila Copps, uh, you know, former deputy prime minister, uh, came out and said that maybe. Uh, maybe Phil Pot and maybe uh, Wilson Raybould are not so politically experienced that they couldn't handle this sort of thing. And I think the point she's making isn't one to, you know, bolster the current liberal government or even degrade the character of, of the two uh, MPs of Quit the Caucus, but rather to say, this is kind of how it works. You sometimes have to, you know, take a lot of bad, uh, take the really bad with the bad. And so, um, you know, everybody kind of trades horses when it comes to, to work, working together in caucus. And, and maybe they weren't prepared for that. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's certainly biting uh, Justin in the butt right now. Uh, my thought was that's that whole, um, I don't know if pride goeth before a fall is uh, is the right one, but uh, if you stand there and you spout off ad nauseum about how your party is equal and how women will be treated properly within this party. And then you turn around and say, well, you know, that woman has a different point of view on this thing than I do. It doesn't quite fly. And you're going to get held to it. You know, you're going to get nailed on that, especially. And then another woman from your kid. So my question is, do do two male cabinet members have to resign now, too? Or <laughs> there's an imbalance there, Roger. That's perfect. Well, that's it. Thanks. You kind of lead into the other point. And, and look, I said this from the beginning. And frankly, I didn't get enough like greeting cards and thank yous and, 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 you know, uh, uh, macro made plant hangers and needle pointed pillows in, in, in gratitude. What I'm saying is that I told you from the outset that this idiocy of a 50, 50 cabinet was not feminism. It was tokenism. And now we're really seeing that come home to roost, right? It's sort of like if he appoints two more women just to replace the two women, it's tokenism. Like his, oh, yeah. his hands are tied. It's it's embarrassing, I think. It's embarrassing for our country. It's particularly embarrassing for this government, though they don't even know it. But like for for him to say like, oh, yeah, I'm the feminist. I'm the, you know, women are equal. This is the government of equality. And then you've got other, you know, liberal MPs saying like things like Justin Trudeau said where she experienced it differently. What did Michelle Rempel say? Did that woman in the Kokanee Music Festival experience the grope differently or something to that effect? Like, I just love it. But here he is now saying those things that any feminist knows a man's not allowed to say. Mm. This is this is really, really embarrassing. And here's the call that I have for 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 progressives in this country. Okay, hold him accountable, kick him out, see him for what he is and give him the boot. Now, now I want to be really clear here with what I'm challenging you to do. I'm not saying that you need to replace the liberal government with a conservative government. I'm not saying change how you vote, vote liberal, but you need to demand that this sexist prime minister who has bullied this woman around and treated her just like so many, like this is what, why don't we have more women in politics? Oh, because guys still think they can shove them around. And look, here's the prime minister. Here's the PMO. Here's the finance minister. Here's the clerk of the privy council. Here they are bullying this woman around. And they happen to find a couple of strong women who just weren't going to take it. I mean, I love hearing Christia Freeland come out and, and talk about how, uh, how uh, uh, supportive, uh, how the prime minister still has her confidence and, and, you know, how supportive he is of her. I mean, here, let me see if I can paraphrase this speech that she gave. I'll do it equally as well, I promise. Uh, um, 100%, he has my confidence. And, and I mean, for me, for me personally, I mean, as a mother, I mean, and I, and I have, as a mother, as a working mother, I have two children and I talk to them about this. And he he has my confidence. I'm like, what is this bullshit? Why can't you just admit this guy's a jerk, just like everybody else in politics, and it ain't going to change? So my challenge to these progressives is to do this. Tell the Liberal Party, you're not going to stand to have this jerk in, in a feminist cloak who tells women they experience things differently but still claims to be feminist when meanwhile he's just using female tokenism to further his agenda with uh, progressives in this country say you won't stand for it that you need a new leader before you're going to vote liberal this uh, in the next election 
So one timeline says uh, the liberals just kind of see if they can uh, hope this thing blows over because they're far enough away from an election that it might be a little bump in the polls. For, it is a bump in the polls for them. The conservatives are polling higher than they are for the first time in forever. Um, but by the time we get down to an election, it may have all become a moot point. The other flip of this coin is now that you got some big name cabinet ministers resigning uh, and getting out of there. How many more does it take before the party as a whole goes, ha, huh, you know, Justin's uh, becoming a bit of a weight around our neck. You know, Krista, how do you feel about leading the party? And I bet you heard oh. her tune changes in a big hurry, you know? Well, that would be pretty interesting. Um, I don't think she's the one. It'd be. I think that would be a disaster for the party, um, personally. Uh, that, that's the name um, I'm hear, hearing being thrown around for sure, but. Yeah, I mean, I don't know who else is in there. Um, I, you know, I don't spend a lot of time ch- digging into the bench strength of the federal Liberal Party. I think that they're pretty much a a storefront window full of mannequins, as uh, uh, you know, as, as qualified to run this nation as they are. But um, that's just me. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think the Liberals have circled the wagons on this one, if I can say that. And I think the other thing is that. Um, they, what you said about, you know, will this thing blow over? That's why they let it blow up so quickly. You know, they made sure that, that this thing's moving along, uh, that they're getting the, the, you know, the, the, the testimonies out of the way, uh, well before the next election cycle. So here's, here's how they're hoping to plan it. Like, let's just come out in the open with it. It's going to suck for a month. It's going to be pretty embarrassing. Then the summer is going to happen. And in September, nobody will remember anything about this. They'll be, uh, their, their MPs will go home to their constituencies in Ontario and Quebec, which is the only places they need to be. I think that they've given up on Alberta already. Uh, they'll go home to their constituencies in in um, Ontario and Quebec, figure out some ideas that they can, you know, do some pork barreling in the, the come the next election season, and then they'll just buy all those seats again, like they did the last time. So I, I really don't think the Liberals have anything to worry about. I just think that it's hilarious that progressives in this country are going to let this prime minister get away with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're basically voting for Donald Trump at some point. Aren't our politics kind of aligning right now? It's very interesting how those two are walking a similar path at the moment, for sure. Right. Uh, okay, Liberal Party, uh, uh, we have to dump Justin. Things are not working well, uh, but we think we have the guy to run our party. Uh, hello, everybody. It's me, Jean Chrétien. I'm on 85. I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just, I don't know. Do we have a half man, half woman who could do it? It seems like that's the ideal candidate for us. Don't make me give you the Shawinigan handshake. <laughs> that's actually a chokehold, and that would be considered assault. <laughs> yeah, that was, know, that's an interesting one, hey, that those two guys were in charge of the same party. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> um, so what's your take? What, how do you think this is going to fall out? Do you think it's going to be that? Do you think it's going to be, it's just going to blow over? It's going to be nothing? Or yeah. do we get one or two more resignations, you know? Well, uh, you know, Mr. Butts is, uh, was, was, was on the stand today saying, you know what, guys? Liberal Party's really good. It's good. Yeah. No, and, and I think that, I don't know why Gerald Butts resigned exactly. Like, I'd kind of like to know what, um, what the smoking gun there was. But uh, I think that, Kind of similar to what Sheila Copps was saying was like, guys, this is business as usual. Like the prime minister's office tells uh, ministers what to do from time to time. It, it so happened that Jody Wilson-Raybould cared a bit more about the law than she did about, you know, being a politician. Like 
I, I think that she's somebody who might have aspired to a higher level of public service. And I also think that she carried with her a lot of, uh, a lot of, you know, I don't want to say emotion. Like, what am I trying to say here? She represented, uh, a lot of things, right? She represented, um, indigenous people. She represented, uh, you know, females in, in, in government. She represented women in law. She represented a lot of things. And indigenous I don't think too, is that she, she not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what I said. Oh, yeah, sorry. She, yeah. yeah, she represented indigenous women. So I think that she didn't want to sell all that stuff for the benefit of the Canadian government. I don't really know what that wrestling match is like, you know, in her mind and in her heart. But I guess I got to say that if truth and reconciliation is an ongoing conversation and it really is with people of my, you know, indigenous background, then I would feel, uh, I'd, I'd have to really question my own integrity if I was willing to be a pawn in the liberal government's game. Keep in mind, by the way, this is the party that criticized the conservative government over a century ago of not starving the Indians fast enough. <laughs> so, I mean, I can't blame – I certainly don't – I'm glad she took the action that she did. I think that she's 100% correct in this situation. But to the point, what Gerald Butts was saying is that, look, this is just how government goes. And if you don't like it, then you leave. And that's kind of what Jody Wilson Raybould did. So I think it's all going to blow over, and I think the Liberals are going to win another majority. That's just my guess. I, you're probably right, but goddamn, would I love to see one or two more cabinet ministers, you know, resign just to keep that fire going, just to see what happens, right? Yeah, you, I don't you think got to know happen, somebody I, in that party wants wants to be in charge. But the problem they have right now is that entire party is literally built around the cult of Justin Trudeau. That's yeah. all they have no, it's right now. Absolutely true. So if you get rid of him, then you got to figure out what your party actually is, right? That's true, D- Dave. They didn't have a brand going into the last election. That's why he was able to say all sorts of stupid stuff, and people were gonna like he he was the rock star candidate. He turned out to be he went into the election a distant third, and then he came out on top because people just fell in love with him. They didn't give a shit who were they were voting mm-hmm. for. Jack Layton did a similar thing. Uh, although maybe a bit more accidentally in, in you know the in a prior election, but I just I don't know, man. I I think you're right. I mean, the liberals are going to have to define their brand beyond Justin Trudeau, and I think they need the sooner they get to it, the better their 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 chances of being government for a longer period of time are. All right. So my last question on this this subject is uh, the conservatives are polling slightly higher. But not like running away with it in the recent polling, with even with the scandal going on. I think a lot of that has to do with sheer. If somebody else is in charge of this party, the the conservative party, uh, does that make a difference? Would they be running away with the polling right now? Uh, I don't know, man. This is kind of one of those times where I think Andrew Shear being looking sort of smaller and nice is a benefit. I think it kind of plays well here. I also um, think maybe you know, the uh, – sorry. Go ahead. I asked you no, a question that I interrupted you. <laughs> no, I was just going to say if it was Maxim Bernier, who's the guy I wanted, I mean you're kind of bigger and imposing and I don't know. I don't I don't know how it would play out. I mean it's an interesting hypothetical, but I think that, that Shear's in position to do something for a change finally. That's a good point because there's a risk of overplaying your hand too, going too hard at them and then losing some support from that. I think, I wonder if the other part of this is that Joe public maybe doesn't understand this whole 
Like the scandal isn't exact. It wasn't like this guy, you know, nailed two chicks in a van. Like that's not the scandal. It's sort of a, it's a tricky political, you know, this for that. So I wonder if the average person knows nor cares or has bothered to find out what this whole thing is all about. That probably plays in the liberals favor as well, other than something's going on and they're not happy. I don't know why. Yeah. But here, here's the real question in, in terms of that for me, right? In Alberta, this is easy. You know, Justin Trudeau is trying to protect a Quebec company, but he won't protect an entire Alberta industry. Justin Trudeau is trying to save 8,500 jobs, but he won't try to save 100,000 jobs, right? Mm-hmm. So it, that's the dialogue here. It's pretty easy. I don't know what it is in Ontario or what it is in Quebec because it has to be something like they're the same corrupt party that lets, you know, big companies get away with fraud and uh, what was the other charge? I was going to say fraud and perjury, but that's not it. Um, but like, do you know what I mean? Like, I just don't know what the, what the emotional point that you hit on in Quebec is about this, uh, or in Ontario is about this that makes people go, yeah, that's, that's heinous. And add to the fact that, you know, I don't think Joe Public cares that much anyway. So, um, you know, this is kind of the, the, the ingredients in my cocktail that leads the, uh, the liberals to another victory in the fall. Yeah, and that's my thought too. If nothing else happens as a result of this scandal, if we get no further resignations or no further evidence or or whatever coming up, I think it probably peters out. If we start seeing a little bit more, you know, revolt from the party, or if there's new evidence coming forward or new, you know, scandal popping up as a result of this, could be a different story. Yeah, I'd like that'd be fun to see. Just from the perspective of, oh, my God, something interesting is happening in Canadian politics. Mm. Well, you know, it'll be it'll be neat. We'll see if there's any uh, more damning evidence. But it it looks to me like the liberals are kind of, you know, shoring things up right now. There might have been some interesting um, uh, deals made in back rooms to make sure that people uh, stay on board. Um, You know, if if politics is as politics is. But um, I think this one's. Yeah, it's going to be fun, and and we're certainly going to have enough rhetoric and enough uh, to get to get us, you know, whipped up into a frenzy. But I don't think this is going to be nearly as damaging to the liberals as uh, as we'd like it. As some of us would like it to be. Well, the latest headline I'm reading from the Star is uh, "Timeline raises questions about whether Wilson Raybould was too quick in her decision and how much input she actually sought." So that's the ah, maybe that's neat. the plan. They flip back and go, well, she didn't really do a good job of things. So no scandal. Let's go <laughs> march in a parade. <laughs> uh, All right, man. Mike Justin's making a plan. He's uh, maybe not India. Maybe he's going to go somewhere else. But uh, probably time for a photo <laughs> tour of some some sort. Yeah, that's right. Um, and they've told him to do less of that too. So maybe he's got a I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he's got nowhere to turn. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll tell you something. Um, I in the in the layoff, I've managed to load a lot into that clip, but once again, it is empty, Dave. My clip is empty on this one. It's a problem with clips. They they do that. Uh, all right. So that is the uh, first episode of season three of the National Talkie League, and uh, we uh, like like we said, we plan to be back on the regular, and uh, hope that you're enjoying it so far. Uh, let's hear from you. Uh, we have the Facebook group, National Talkie League. We've also got the closed group, which is the Beleaguered Talkies. Uh, so if you want to be part of that, all you have to do is ask to join and we'll let you in unless you're a Russian bot, in which case you're probably not <laughs> listening to this anyway. So, um, but yeah, we, we love, uh, 
hearing back uh, feedback from you guys. If you've got anything to tell us, let us know. You can email us through the website. You can go on your iTunes and uh, leave some feedback there. And uh, yeah, thanks for hanging in, guys.